Good morning. Our text this morning will be in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. But before we, uh, I'll invite you to turn there now, but before we uh, read the text, I wanted to share with you uh, an email that I received from Pastor Ronald uh, Kabumba, who is the pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Busimbatia. And I want us to just have a a moment of prayer and lift uh, Pastor Ronald up, uh, Pastor Ronald and the Faith Baptist Congregation. Last... Uh, last Easter, we went and uh, we spent time uh, there on the ground in Busimbatia uh, holding pastor's conferences and uh, are holding a pastor's conference and women's conference and children's conference or, or VBS. And then we, we went with the church to, um, to the hospital and we went with the church to the prison. And our ministry as a congregation, as Crosspoint, partnered with Grace as we went there, uh, we went to strengthen brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And so we've had some communication with Pastor Ronald and with Faith Baptist Church uh, over the past months, but here's the most recent. Pastor Ronald says, Brother Nick, for you to come up with these dates uh, regarding the dates for uh, the next trip, uh, this is God himself who has led you because this is the best season for these conferences. Since you visited our church and the community, you have been of, been of a great blessing. And people are talking about you both in the church, speaking of our group, uh, both in the church and the community. People are praising God on your behalf. The conferences you held last year put our people on another level and they, gave great, and they have greatly changed. To us, you are a gift from God. My partner, our partnering with me, has brought a lot of healing of the wounds which were on my heart due to the tragedy that fell on me when those youths got drowned in the water when we went to baptism. The community is again seeing me as a useful person both spiritually and physically when we visited the prison and the hospital. I asked him how we could pray for him as a congregation and for the church. He said, our church needs a building. Pray for our church to have a building. Teacher salaries for the orphanage school at the church are not paid. Pray for God to provide transport, feeding, and accommodation for the participants of the November conferences. Pray for my family, my two children who are at secondary school to have been, and have been sent home for school fees. Pray for me to have a laptop so that I can have better communication uh, with others and with you so that I don't have to travel 20 kilometers to Iganga Town to surf or to answer emails. He said, we're just waiting for the great time of fellowship when you come. Uh, Shane, folks, who was a pastor in training at Grace and then taught our equipping class last semester through Islam, has been, many of you know, he's been in Uganda teaching at the Uganda Baptist Seminary for this past semester. Uh, And while he was there, he's had an opportunity to go out and visit Bugari Baptist Church. And then yesterday, or while we were sleeping last night, he was in Busimbatia preaching uh, preaching there today, and so I, uh, I've spent time in prayer, as many of you I know have spent time in prayer for Shane, uh, and so I want us to lift up Pastor Ronald this morning uh, as, we, uh, as we continue to worship. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we lift up Pastor Ronald and Faith Baptist Church of Busimbatia. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we worship you and they worship you even as they've worshiped you nine hours ago uh, as we think around the globe there are people lifting up praise to you on this day every 
moment, every hour of the day for 24 hours consecutively. Thank you, God, that we have a privilege to enter into fellowship and labor for the gospel with brothers and sisters such as Pastor Ronald. Lord, we thank you for the way that you are restoring him in the eyes of the community. And we pray that you would continue to grant him your grace and grant Faith Baptist Church your grace as they endeavor to minister in the midst of the community where they are in Busimbatia. Lord, we pray for their many needs that Pastor Ronald has mentioned. We pray for your provision as they seek to uh, as they seek to establish themselves in the community and have a building. We pray, God, that you would provide for their needs and even use that which we are contributing to them to provide for their needs. Lord, we also pray for the teachers' salaries in the orphanage and the school, asking that you would provide resources for them to be paid. And Father, we pray for the spiritual growth of the body there in Faith Baptist. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint Pastor Ronald as he preaches your word week in and week out. We pray, God, that you would anoint that congregation as they seek to live the gospel out uh, in the community before the eyes of many in their community. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them as a body of believers. We ask you, God, to to continue working and encouraging them, that, that you would add to their number, that they would be faithful in serving you and proclaiming your gospel. And Lord, that they would be faithful in making disciples there in their own community. Now, Lord, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word this morning, it is our prayer that we ourselves would glorify you in all that we say and do. In all that we hear, Lord, let us not just hear your word this morning, but let us be uh, let us be set in our own hearts and minds. Strengthen us to keep your word. Father, we ask that you would minister to each of us this morning. And for those that are here who are discouraged, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would encourage them. And those who are walking with you and experiencing the joy of knowing you in intimate fellowship, we pray, Father, that you would continue to encourage and strengthen them. And Lord, if there are any here this morning who are harboring sin in their own heart and life, we pray that you would, uh, you would open our eyes to see that. And now, Lord, as we read your word, I pray that your anointing would be upon me, your servant. As we speak this morning, as I speak, Lord, may I speak for your glory. Guard my lips from error. And Lord, may you be exalted. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Rescue the Perishing, the Heart of Christ's Mission. And in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, we, uh, we see this. This is Christ's heart. His mission is to come and to rescue the perishing, those who are dying. And so this morning, we pick up in verse 48. In the second half of the dialogue that, that, that we began to look at last week between Jesus and the Jews, which began in verse 31. And so in verse 48, if you found your place, say amen. Follow along as I read. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly you are Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets died also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Have you ever needed to be rescued? Yet you didn't really know that you needed to be rescued. Have you ever been in a circumstance or situation like that? Two stories. One, uh, one story. We knew we needed to be rescued. Uh, I say we because this involved my family. I think I've shared the story before. Uh, Tara was building a fire, burning some brush on the edge of the field when we lived in Pollock, and the wind blew and the fire caught in the all the dry grass of the field. We had clear cut the field, right, and it it was gone. And the problem was. Um, Kasachi National Forest bordered our property on the back, uh, and so that's a, that's a lot of area, right? And then the second problem was that there was a gas line, a big gas well uh, on the back of our property as well because there was a, a low-pressure gas line. And so there was certainly danger there. We knew we needed to be rescued from that danger, so we call who? The firemen. They come out. They put the fire out, right? Well, there was a next time, uh, an, another time, dealing with fire again. I thought, I'm going to do a controlled burn on the field. And so I got the tractor, I, I, did, I did everything right, okay? I disc up around the field, I get it all disced up, and I, I get a nice wide path so that the fire won't jump. And then I started at the back by the gas well, and so that it would move forward and not move toward the gas well. Well, I, was, I thought I'd do it quick, and so I had a big propane torch, and I was on the four-wheeler riding along the side of the field. By the time I got to, to the other end of the field, the fire had already engulfed the whole pasture. Uh, and, and so w- what I thought was going to happen, I would make it all the way around the field and it would meet in the middle and it would be out, right? But I thought, well, I, I'm not in any danger. I don't need any help. Well, luckily, somebody, fortunately, somebody from the gas station across the highway, they saw the fire burning. And even though I didn't think I needed help, they called the firemen and they got there. And the first thing they said was, you know, I, it was a year to the day that we were here, we were here a year ago. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't call you this time, you know. <laughs> the fire had started going into the yard, and it was approaching the house, and so I was glad that they showed up. I, I didn't realize that I was in danger. I didn't realize that, that we were in danger. And, and I think it's the same thing that Jesus is confronting, this, this issue similarly for, for those Jews who have been hearing him, they don't realize that they are in danger. They don't realize that they need to be rescued. And so he said last week we saw where he says, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And so he says, the son will make you free. And if you believe in the son, you will be free indeed. 
In fact, the words of Christ have scandalized the Jews. Those who, in verse 30, at the end of the previous passage, said, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Those in verse 30 who had come to believe in him, it's revealed by the end of verse 59 that they really were phonies. Their faith wasn't real because we see in verse 59 that they pick up stones, right? They're ready to stone him. They're not true children of God, but they are children of their father, the devil, Jesus says in verse 44. So last week we saw that their lack of belief in Christ's word revealed their true nature. Verse 31 says, if you remain or abide or continue in my words, then you truly are disciples of mine. Verse 37, he said, my word has no place in you. And in verse 42, he told them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth from him and have come from God for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. So their lack of belief in Christ's word revealed their true nature. Their actions toward Christ revealed their true nature as well. For he tells them in verse 39, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. As it is, you seek to kill me in verse 40. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. You don't hear, verse 47, the words of God because you are not of God. Man, those are some hard statements that he was telling those who claim to be God's people. It was hard for them to to hear this. They thought their birth certificate, that is, they thought being Abraham's physical descendants granted them special privilege as God's elect people. But they couldn't have been more wrong. They failed to see they were in need of divine rescue. And this is still the plight of men today, of women today, all who are in bondage to sin. Many in our day find themselves are in a, they they may not necessarily find themselves, but they're in a similar position as the Jews. We find dialoguing with Jesus in this passage. They're blinded to their need for a savior. They're captivated by their own sin and, and own devilish desires. And my prayer is that if there is anyone here this morning who is in that particular place or that particular circumstance being captivated by their own sin or their own devilish desires, that the Holy Spirit will illumine our minds to understand and to see that and that God would draw us by His Spirit. And so this morning we see really the mission of divine rescue in Christ. It was His mission to come and to rescue the lost sinner It was his mission to come and to free us from bondage. And we see in this passage, in this text this morning, that knowing Christ's salvation involves both hearing and keeping Christ's word. Because the true disciple of Christ understands that their lives must be continually shaped and reshaped by the gospel of Christ. As a disciple... We come to the word of God, to the gospel, 
And it's the gospel that shapes us and the gospel that reshapes us. It's the gospel that transforms our minds. It's coming to Christ's words and seeing how this book, how scripture has been divinely inspired and and has authority to speak into our lives. And it's God's word that changes us and shapes us and molds us because of the hope of Jesus Christ. Because of his divine mission to rescue us. And so first we see this morning that Christ is the divine rescuer or is he, as the critics charge, possessed by a demon in verses 48 to 51. It's been said, Christ's statements are either cosmic or comic. They're either cosmic or comic. You know, this passage offers us proof that man's nature hasn't really changed. They claim that he is possessed by a demon. We see that man's nature hasn't really changed, and we can look at the response of these Jews as they've heard these hard words from Christ, been confronted in their sin and their need for a Savior. It's as if they're backed into a corner. And every theological argument they've put forward, Abraham is our father, God is our father, Jesus has shown the holes that were there in their theological argument. And so the last thing they can do, they resort to an insult. And so when they're backed in a corner, they can either repent and say, we confess of our sin, and we swallow our pride and say we were wrong, or... They can come out fighting and they can hurl insults at Christ. And that's exactly what they do. They do the latter. They begin hurling insults at Christ. The first one was a racial slur in verse 48. They said, you're a Samaritan. In other words, they're challenging his very character. They're challenging who he is. and, And they're issuing an attack not only on his character, but also on his teaching. By calling him a Samaritan, they were calling him as well a false teacher. But not only did they call him a Samaritan, they said, you have a demon. The second insult, (laughs) that's a serious statement. I mean, they ascribe to the Lord of glory. Talk about blasphemy. It's not Christ that that has blasphemy. It's these Jews who are saying, you have a demon. They ascribe to the Lord of glory, the, the, the incarnate Son of God, saying, you have a demon. He is, they're saying that he's an agent of Satan. That he has come from the devil himself. And so get the picture. They've been kind of backed into a a corner here. And instead of submitting and humbling themselves, swallowing their pride, confessing their wrong, they begin insulting Christ and fighting back. I want you to notice Jesus' response because it's instructive for us. In verses 49 through 51, we see that he's the divine rescuer because his response reveals the heartbeat of his mission. He simply he doesn't even address the issue of Samaritan. He just simply states, I do not have a demon. In other words, he's saying, I'm not an agent of Satan. On the other hand, he replies, I honor my father. You dishonor me. We've already seen in a number of places early on in the Gospel of John, that to dishonor Christ is to dishonor the Father. To reject Christ is to reject the Father. But when Christ speaks of honoring the Father, 
he is speaking of honoring the Father by saying his words or saying the Father's words boldly and truthfully. That which Christ claims, he claims boldly. He claims truthfully. He claims authoritatively. Why? Because God's word is authoritative. And he knows that which he is speaking are the very words of God. And he's not ready to step back. He's not ready to take, uh, to take a, a back seat and to allow the culture to determine or allow the crowds to determine his messiahship. And so he says in verse 50, I don't seek my glory. There is one being God who seeks my glory and who judges He says the same thing again in verse 54. Look down in verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. You see, Jesus lives for the glory of the Father. He doesn't live for the approval of man. We honor God by seeking and living for his glory and not for our own. Jesus Christ humbled himself and sought the father's glory over his own glory. And so we, too, ought to humble ourselves and seek the father's glory over our own glory. And we learn from Christ, the one who is seeking to glorify the Father, that in our daily lives, we too ought to be seeking to bring glory to God. But instead, I'm afraid so often we want to bring glory to ourselves. We want our own desires to be met. We want our own ego to be stroked. We want our own power to be recognized. We want our own stories and our own connections to be seen. 1 Peter 5, 6, the Apostle Peter reminds us, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Brothers and sisters, we must continually remind ourselves of this truth. We must live for God's glory and not for the approval of others. We see this modeled in Christ so well. Sometimes we're kind of like maybe a junkie looking for the next fix on approval of others. We want to know what others think. We're always concerned about what others think. We're always looking for someone to approve what we say or what we do. But hear me out. We need to hear from God. We need to seek the Father's approval. We need to be content and joyful in what God has called us to do. We need to seek the will of God through His Word that we might know how to serve Him most faithfully. That we might know how to walk with Him most honorably. I think as we look at Christ's response to those who were hurling insults at Him, we can recognize that the bold proclamation that Christ has spoken is one that will bring insults But as well, we can learn about what he is saying and we can learn even how to engage others with the hope of the gospel in our own day. I think it's of vital importance today. In a day and age when political correctness and tolerance 
challenge us and, and tempt us to step back. Even the most bold Christians might be tempted to, to back off the bold claims of Scripture or perhaps to water down the truth when there are so many people in disagreement. Jesus does no such thing. He won't back down from his position, nor will he let the truth of God undergo decay. Christ himself, being vested with God's authority as the incarnate one, presses home the uncomfortable yet eternally significant gospel truth when he says, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. His gospel is and must ever increasingly be our gospel. Christ's teaching serves as a model for us in that we we realize His boldness must be our boldness. His word and proclamation must be our word and proclamation. When we stand on His word, we stand on His authority. And as believers, that's good news. We don't have to seek the approval of others. We seek the approval of our Heavenly Father. And we have a guide. We have have Scripture to communicate to us the very Word of God, the very mission of God, the very truth of God as He has revealed Himself and who He is. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we must encourage one another to stand firm on the authority of Christ. And so Jesus responds lovingly, even in the midst of rejection, with verse 51 saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Here the mission of Christ comes out in the midst of the rejection. In the midst of these accusations they have thrown at him, Christ says, here's the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. We see the mission of Christ on display. He's delivering the gospel to them, even in the midst of rejection. One of the greatest debates that's being waged today in the American culture, even beyond America, is the debate over homosexuality. And what level of recognition same-sex partners are, are to be given within society. The debates even entered the church with many mainline evangelical denominations now ordaining homosexual clergy. And as a church, we must be prepared to speak as the gospel speaks to issues of our day. And this is just one of the issues. It's a big issue, but it's, it's only one of the issues. The gospel is clear that homosexuality is a sinful lifestyle. I'm taking this biblical position, though, Hear me out. It's not unloving as many claim. In fact, I would argue the opposite. I would argue that it is the most loving thing that a believer could do. It would be unloving to claim that the Bible permits a lifestyle of sin that Scripture clearly condemns. But hear me out. If this is all we say, if this is where our conversation stops, then we've not fulfilled our biblical responsibility to address the issues of the day with the gospel. We must also be careful to share the hope of redemption of the gospel so that while a person may struggle with same-sex attraction, it doesn't define who they are. Their identity is to be found in Christ because in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are made as new creations. 
whereby we leave our life of sin and we cling to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And as Paul says in Colossians 3, that we are to be perpetually putting to death the old self with its evil practices. And we have put on the new self, which is being perpetually renewed according to the image of our creator. The church then becomes the haven for sinners in need of saving grace. And so what do we see in this first part of dialogue? We see rejection being hurled at Christ, accusation being hurled at Christ, yet he stands firm in his bold proclamation of the truth, issuing and and inviting them to hear the gospel, inviting them to believe in the gospel. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In doing so, Christ doesn't seek his own glory. Instead, he seeks the glory of the Father. And as Jesus doesn't seek his own glory, rather he seeks the glory of the Father, I want to ask us to consider this morning, what does it look like for us individually to seek the Father's glory in in our day-to-day mundane activity and lives? What does it look like for us to seek the glory of the Father? If I'm seeking my own glory... I'll quickly bow to the pressures of the culture, to the demands of the crowd. This is why we must make it our chief aim as disciples of Christ to seek the glory of the Father. When we take our cues from the divine rescuer, Christ, then we see the hope of the gospel and the authority upon which we stand. Look again at the end of verse 51 where he says, If anyone who keeps my word, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus is restating what he's already said in verses 31 and 32. Namely, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is a statement that has major significance For if we see Christ's mission, the rescue of sinners from eternal condemnation, we understand the death that he is speaking about in verse 51. He will never see death. This death speaks of the eternal condemnation to hell for all who reject Christ and remain in bondage to their sin. Because everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. But the true disciple of Christ doesn't just hear The words of Christ. No, he hears and he keeps his word. The call is to believe and to cleave and to obey his word. The truth is this. The gospel must continually shape and reshape our lives. We don't shape the gospel. The gospel shapes us as we come and submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. This has so many implications that are far reaching and. I'm sure the Holy Spirit is working and applying these things into your own life. But if we think about how the gospel applies to our marriages, how how the gospel applies to our parenting, to our work ethic, to our co-workers, to our bosses, to our employees, so on and so forth, down the line, the gospel shapes us and, and reshapes our mind so that we are continually putting to death the things of the flesh and perpetually are continually submitting ourselves and being formed and fashioned into the image of Christ. The remainder of our passage is fleshed out in one more assertion by the Jews. 
That is, secondly, we see the divine rescuer confronts the disbelieving critics in verses 52 through 59. Verse 52, their ignorance is confirmed when they say, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, the prophets died also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? To taste death and to see death, as Christ said in verse 51, really is one and the same. It is to experience death. But here, those who are listening, the Jews, they were thinking of physical death. They weren't thinking about spiritual death. They weren't thinking of Christ as the one who gives light to eternal life. They missed that he was the divine son in the father's house who would set them free from bondage to sin, as verse 36 says. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So while this is two, these are two messages, we understand that from verse 31 all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 59, it's, it's one dialogue, one conversation. In verse 53, their ignorance shines through. They say, surely, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. You're not greater than the prophets who died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? This is really the question that they're getting at. They want to know, who do you claim to be? Who are you really trying to say? that? Are you really trying to say that you're God? Are you really trying to say that you're greater than Abraham and the prophets? To which Jesus replies, detailing three distinct ways that he's greater than Abraham. The first one is he says in verse 54, my father glorifies me. My father glorifies me. In other words, I don't seek my own glory. In fact, if I glorify myself, my glory is of nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. This one, this God, He glorifies me. And as I stand before you, it's the Father who is giving testimony and glorifying me, Jesus is saying. Now John has been telling of the signs of Christ pointing to the glory of the Father and reciprocally how the Father has glorified the Son from John 1 through John 8 now and will continue through John chapter 11. Think back over the Gospel of John, chapter 2, the miracle at Cana. Jesus provided unending wine of greater worth and it pointed to His authority. It pointed to His greatness and the satisfaction over anything that the world can offer is found in Christ. He is better. He is better than everything this world has to offer. Chapter 4, the healing of the nobleman's son, where Christ hears and he speaks a word. And when he speaks a word, the sickness left the son. And it revealed that Jesus had the power to cast out Sickness just by speaking his word. In chapter 5, we see the healing of Bethesda, the lame man. and He was lame for 38 years. And we see Jesus in healing him shows not only does he have authority over paralysis, that he can make a man walk again. He has authority as Lord over the Sabbath, as the one who has created all things. Chapter 6, the feeding of 5,000. 
revealing that Christ is the supplier of true, satisfying bread, which satisfies spiritual hunger and leads to eternal life. His body is the bread of life, and one must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood to have eternal life. He says, I am the bread of life. Chapter 6, he continued walking on water, calming the storm, showing his authority over all of creation. Chapter 9, in a, next week or two weeks from now, we'll see that he'll, he'll heal a blind man and show that truly he is what he claims to be, the light of the world, the one who lightens the darkness, the blind eyes. Added to this are the accounts of his baptism and the transfiguration where he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We see the authority of Christ evidenced in his resurrection and ascension to the father. Is there really any question as to the authoritative claims of Christ? Christ has all authority and has entered our humanity to rescue us from bondage to sin. And here's the thing. It's very personal. Christ comes in and he speaks to the very personal place where we are in bondage. He gives strength to overcome bondage. He gives strength to deliver us from sin, to redeem us, to save us. The second distinction he makes In verse 55, he says, second reason he's greater than Abraham is, I know him, speaking of God the Father. In fact, two different words are used here in verse 55 to speak of, no, two different verbs in the same verse. The first verb, it speaks of, you have not come to know him, as if something should have happened in the past or will happen in the future. This verb is, Nuanced, and it's said in the context as related to uh, to having gained uh, gained something through experience or association with God. You haven't come to know God. You haven't come to experience Him or have a relationship with God. It's the same verb that's used over back in verse thirty-two. Read verses thirty-one and thirty-two with me again. If you continue in my word then you truly are disciples of mine. And listen, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In verse 32, it's used in the future tense saying, you will know the truth. How? If you abide in my word. And what will the truth do? It will make you free. It will free you from bondage to sin, because you will know the truth as you see it in my word and remain in my word. And so we understand that knowing the truth here is contingent upon remaining or continuing in Christ's word. In other words, we come to know God by abiding in his word. How do we want to know God and grow in our relationship with God? Well, we must first abide in his word. If we're not abiding in his word, then we're not going to come to know him in the way that Christ is speaking of here. The second to know is a different verb. And in the context here, it speaks of an intimate knowledge of God. Notice that Jesus didn't have to come to know him. He says of them, he says, you have not come to know him, but 
I know him. (laughs) And if I say I don't know him, then I'm a liar like you. I know him. It's an intimate acquaintance, intimate knowledge of God. He is, he knows him since he's eternally one with the Father. He's of the same essence with the Father. So Christ is the one who is divinely authorized to communicate or explain the Father to us. Remember John 1.18, that he has come to explain. And Christ is uniquely qualified as the Word made flesh to explain, to exegete the Father to us. We see in the, the last part of the verse that knowing God and Keeping God's word are two inseparable realities for Christ. You see that at the end of verse 55? I do know him and keep his word. Knowing God must be accompanied by keeping or continuing or abiding in his word. This helps us to understand that by remaining in his word, we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free. All the way back to the prologue in John 1.14, where Jesus or where John said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. In Christ, in the word, we have the truth of God revealed to us. Listen to Jesus' words in the high priestly prayer for his disciples. John 17.3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, this prayer, though, wasn't just for the disciples. It was for us, too. Because in verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. It should bring us great delight and joy to know God's word. For in keeping God's word, we know him and experience his goodness in our lives. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to know his word We must be a people of his word. The third distinction that he makes. He says, I am God's promise fulfillment of hope and rescue. Now, I've paraphrased a little bit in verses 56 through 59. But he says here that he is God's promise of fulfillment or God's promised fulfillment, rather, of hope and rescue. In verse 56, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And Jesus is speaking back into Genesis when Abraham saw the promised Messiah through the miraculous birth of his son Isaac. And through the covenant, his seed would bless all nations through the covenant that God made with Abraham when he saw the promise of Cal- or he saw the promise of Calvary when he offered his son Isaac on the altar and when Isaac asked him father where will where will the sacrifice come from he says the lord will provide 
And he sees God's provision. And so when Jesus speaks back, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. He is speaking of that which Abraham, the great patriarch, knew would come and had trusted would come and believed on by faith. This is the ultimate claim of divinity that he makes in verse 58 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. If there was any doubt after verse 12, or after verse 24, or after verse 28, in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And he goes on to continue this in verse 24 and 20, verse 28. If there was any doubt, they know undoubtedly that he is now claiming divinity with the Father. He doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. He says before Abraham was, I am. In other words, co-eternal with the Father. Which brings us back to John's prologue. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He was with God in the beginning. This is such a strong claim that they're no longer seeking an opportunity to arrest Him like they were earlier. Now, now they're seeking to stone him. They're ready to put him to death. They pick up stones so that they can stone him. They're ready right then and there on the spot. Augustine said of this verse, As a man, Jesus, flees from the stones. Woe to those from whose heart the stone, woe to those from whose heart of stone God flees. I'll read it again since I messed it up. As man, Jesus, flees from the stones, woe to those from whose heart of stone God flees. You know, this ought to cause us to wrestle with the gravity of Christ's claim. He's not just some messianic pretender. He's not just some good teacher. He's not just a way of salvation. Jesus Christ claims to be the way of salvation, the one who frees us from bondage to sin. As we said earlier, Christ's statements are either cosmic or comic. They either have eternal implications or they are worth nothing. The question I want us to consider this morning is, are we submitting to Christ as the only authoritative one in which we gain salvation? Are you seeking his glory and not your own? Can it be said of us that we are a people of the word? And are we engaging in the joy of knowing God through the word of Christ? Is the gospel continually shaping and and reshaping our lives? The final question I want to ask this morning is, have you believed upon Christ, the divine son of God, whose mission through his death, burial and resurrection was to rescue those who are in bondage to sin. Christ will set you free if you believe, if you abide and remain in his word. I want to close us in prayer this morning and invite you to respond right where you are, or you can come forward and you can even kneel at the steps and pray, but to respond to the Lord as he's leading you, as he's challenging you this morning, let us pray. Father, 
we thank you that Christ has come to divinely rescue us. Thank you that we have freedom from sin, that we can have the hope of eternal life and that you deliver us from bondage. For Lord, we confess that he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Lord, as we we seek to be people of your word, I pray that you would strengthen us to abide in your word. Strengthen us, Father, to uh, to read your word and to meditate upon the gospel and allow the gospel to shape and to reshape our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would remove that sense of pride from all of us, that we would not seek our own glory, but we would seek your glory, that you would be exalted, that we would make much of you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?